Hello, podcast listeners, and welcome to the 27th of March, 2018 Hong Kong Stories podcast. I'm Rachel Smith. When people first come to our tightly packed city of Hong Kong, they're usually amazed by the tall buildings and lack of space. From a distance, it may seem like Hong Kong is full of homogenous people, all the same, with no deviation. But if you take the time to look closer, you'll find each person stamps their own personality into their small piece of this city. It's not only living spaces that can be conformist, though. As we're going about our busy work lives this week, we'll be listening to a story from Austin about how he struggles to fit into the hive mind at his work. After Austin's story, we'll hear from Yuri, who also has a story about work, but in a different time and place. Before we get to the stories this week, though, a big thank you goes out to our listeners. The first thanks go out to our hometown listeners in Hong Kong. Your continued support for our live shows and our workshops is appreciated. Thanks go out this week, too, to listeners in Revere, Boston, and Brighton in Massachusetts in the USA, Taipei in Taiwan, and London in England. Thanks for letting our stories into your ears. Our March 27th show is tonight, and it's going to be a different kind of show to the regular. Every year we break the mold for one special show, and this year it's called Permission to Pause. You can get a last-minute ticket or find more information at hongkongstories.com. Hong Kong Stories is also part of the Hong Kong Spoken Word Festival again this year, starting on May 25th and going until June 1st. Keep an eye on the festival website, hongkongspokenwordfestival.com, for more information. Hong Kong Stories. It's better than comedy. It's better than drama. It's real life. And now for a November 2018 show as part of the Hong Kong International Literary Festival, performed at the Taekwon Heritage Center in Hong Kong, here is Austin. One morning when I woke from an evening of unsettling dreams. I found myself in bed, transformed into an oversized insect. Now just bear with me. I didn't, I didn't realize what was happening at first. I looked at the clock, my vision was blurry, it was pixelated, and I thought I, it was just waking up. But then when I reached out to get the clock to look at it more carefully, I found that my whole left side, there were three separate limbs, armored, that were flailing around in the air, thrashing about in the sheets. And I wanted to cry out for some kind of help, but I couldn't make any noise. It was just the sound of some lightly clicking mandibles, which I assumed were mine. And it took some time to really process this and to come to grips with the fact that I had turned into an ant, you know? And the worst part of it was that I, I thought I was late for work. I was pretty sure. And I worked for uh, VLVLCLTD, which you probably know is very large, uh, very local, conglomerate uh, limited. And there was a, by this time, there would be a long, snaking queue in the office lobby, and it would just be going back and forth and back and forth. And then when you get up to our floor, 
there would be, be yet another queue snaking back and forth and back and forth because in the corner there was a small metallic card reader which all the employees had to file next to and check in. And the thing about this, if you checked in late, you would get an asterisk on your employee log at the end of the month. If you had too many asterisks, you would get a, uh, a, uh, a warning letter from HR. If you got too many warning letters, well, now your annual bonus was in jeopardy. And it just seemed so unfair that I had to be worried about exoskeleton issues and voice loss and asterisks. It was, it was just not right. It seemed not right. So, but that was the kind of reality that I was facing at that moment. I had to, I had to deal with it. So I tried to avoid everyone and just get right to the MTR as quickly as possible, went down, and I was actually kind of surprised because it didn't cause any kind of disturbance. People were just perfectly in communion with their phones, and no one looked up. And uh, so that gave me a little bit of time to, to, to assess the situation. And I suppose that I should have probably known that this was going to happen, because there had been a whole series of traumas that had been, I had been forced to adjust to ever since I arrived there. And at that office, I right away, the first time I set foot in it, I knew something was up because of the space, something about the rhythm. You know, we were, uh, our team, there were dozens and dozens of teams, and we were organized into these little departmental pods. And the departmental pods were arranged into these kind of functional clusters. And those functional clusters spread out into all these different levels across the building. And it really just felt like, I can't put it in any other way than a a seething nest of cubicle. And there was paperwork everywhere piled into towers. It was compacted against the walls, leaving only these small void spaces and channels for the employees to scurry through on the way from one area to another. So that morning I made it okay, you know, without much incident to my desk. And uh, it wasn't that my colleagues didn't notice or that they didn't care. Well, actually, I don't think they cared. They didn't care because they were so busy that they had no time to really care. And that was actually part of the organizational style. It was a vast, multi-tiered hierarchy of non-communication. And they (laughs) just, you just went in there and everyone was just so busy trying to pull their little dead grasshopper leg or their crumb of pineapple bun and just start hauling as fast as possible with everybody else. That was the nature of a super organism that we were part of. And um, I had a colleague there, very well-mannered, nice guy. He was colleague Lamb, and he was trying to help me because he understood the colony, and he told me, well, there are workers, and there are soldiers, and there are drones, and of, of course there's a there is a queen. Every colony has a queen. And that was Queen Ava. And she was the source of all departmental instruction and uh, authority. And um, my colleagues, they never made the mistake of asking about the big picture. What is the big picture? What is the big picture? Though I, I made that mistake often. And uh, colleague Lamb, he let me know in un- no uncertain terms. Uh, about this, he said, there is no big picture. There is only Ava. And so 
I, I said to him, he, he was trying to let me understand that there was actually no need to understand. He said the, the only thing that was critical was a kind of highly motivated, frantic, continuous level of activity, just activity, activity. And the important part of that activity was that you should or you must anticipate uh, Ava's wishes, Queen Ava's wishes, before she expresses them. And I thought, how are you supposed to manage that? And, and that left Lamb even kind of stumped. And he said, mm, for you, maybe not so easy. Mm, but uh, you can observe your colleagues. I said, okay, so that afternoon... There was a big project-wide meeting, and Queen Eva came in. A hush fell over the conference room, and then uh, colleague Lamb, he was whispering to me from behind his document, and he said, uh, look at him. And he was kind of stabbing the air, and it was, it, was, uh, um, it was staff member Isaac, and he was sitting about two seats away from Queen Eva. And I said, like, so? He said, he is nodding before Ava has said anything. <laughs> but, yeah, and he was. He was kind of nodding thoughtfully, respectfully, as if he were, you know, noting some particularly well-made point, even savoring it. And, uh, and I thought, well, he's, you know, he's clearly practicing. You know, he's getting his... 10,000 hours, and, and I, I kind of laughed, but, but uh, Lamb, was no, he was serious. He was not ridiculing Isaac. He was telling me, showing me how to be Isaac. And the meeting was drawing to a close, and in her customary way, uh, Queen Ava said, any other comments? And I thought, well, maybe I, have a, I might raise a point here. But, but colleague Lamb was shaking his head in slow motion in this invisible way that only I could see. <laughs> so it's like, right, okay. So that was, uh, you know, those were the early days. But since then, I had done everything in my power and really tried to fully embrace uh, superorganismism. And I knew my primary duties. I had to push and I had to chase. You have to push those people to execute and you had to chase these people to deliver. And then that's how things keep moving in this line. Uh, I could use all the office lingo like, uh, not possible. And uh, uh, I, I'm sorry, that's not my scope. And, uh, <laughs> and, of, and of course, for Queen Ava, it, it was uh, already done, already um, and that's why at this point it was so uh, infuriating and so, so desperate that uh, why me? Why had I now turned into an ant on the outside also? It just seemed too much. But I did remember that there was, I did hear of this other story of this guy who had gone through, he had suffered some kind of similar metamorphosis. And his way of handling it was he crawled under a couch and then uh, eventually he died of starvation. And, 
I did consider this option briefly. I did think about it. But then I thought, there is no chance that that is going to fly in Hong Kong. Can you imagine telling HR that I'm not feeling very comfortable with my body right now, so I'm just going to stay under the couch for a while? There's no way that they are going to even entertain that for one second. And who is going to take over my task? Who's going to take over the pushing? Who's going to take over the chasing and the nodding? It's not that easy. But still, I wanted somebody to talk to. And I thought maybe, maybe Lamb, would he understand? And I wanted to tell somebody that it was really very disturbing for me to no longer recognize faces and that it was painful and distracting to just have be picking up on chemical trails of food and money left all over the office by my coworkers, and I, I, I couldn't swipe my phone properly anymore. And he looked at me, you know, he was sympathetic, but he didn't know what to say. Yet, I did hear a voice that said, why do you complain? You should consider yourself very fortunate. You have more arms and more legs than anybody else. So, of course, you should do your work faster than anybody else. That is only fair. And I thought it was Lamb, but no, it was unmistakably the voice of Queen Ava. And unmistakably, I realized it was coming from inside my head. And Lamb looked over. He wanted to reassure. He saw the concern. He put his hand on my thorax and said, Hey, congratulations. You got it. And I wanted to respond, but no words could come out, only the clicking and clacking of my shiny new mandibles. Thank you. The frustrations of work are ever-present, but we hope that you keep your arms and don't end up with extra legs. If you want to break out from your routine and try something new, why not sign up for one of our free workshops? You can find out how at hongkongstories.com. Come along and tell a true first-person story about your life, and our hosts will give you guidance on how you can tell your story more effectively. Whatever your story, we want to hear it. Our next story today has never been heard on this podcast. It's from a show that experienced technical difficulties in the recording during the performance, so it was re-recorded in the studio later. Here is a story from Yuri. If you've never heard of Radio Shack, then you're unaware of one of the institutions of any decently sized town in Canada or the U.S. in the 1980s or 90s. It was that slightly nerdy shop in the mall that sold batteries, beeping and buzzing handheld football games, radio-controlled cars, ghetto blaster-style portable tape players, and some of the first computers that became available for home use. I spent the four years of my undergraduate degree working part-time at a radio shack. This was actually one of the great gigs of my life with quality stereo equipment to play tunes on and comfortable computer chairs to lounge in with a textbook or a novel. 
The fact that this idyll was rarely interrupted by customers was actually the key. Every once in a while, someone would come in to buy batteries, or a gaggle of kids would drop by to play with the gadgets. The rest of the time, we were left to our own devices. Now, I worked in two locations. One was in Park Lane Mall, a relatively upscale fashion shopping mall in downtown Halifax, Nova Scotia, in Canada. The other one was in Dartmouth Shopping Center, located across the harbor in Dartmouth which we euphemistically called darkness. Think of it as Kowloon, but in Canada. Now, Dartmouth Shopping Center actually wasn't just in darkness. It was in the Skid Row region of darkness, the area more known for illicit activity than for batteries and buzzing electronic games. This was actually the only Radio Shack in the region that had steel bars on its front windows. So it was one night when I was working in the Dartmouth Shopping Center location that the guy came in. He was dressed in black from head to toe, sporting a leather trench coat and a leather hat. He didn't say anything as he entered, but instead walked slowly and deliberately down the far side of the store, where he stopped, turned, and walked about halfway down to the other side until he reached where I was standing. Then he turned, faced me, and swept his trench coat back to reveal the handle of a gun. He looked me up and down and said, in a deep, growling bass, You look really fucking scared, kid. Now, in most movie scripts, this is when I'm asked to hand over the money in the till. But in real life, this menacing figure just closed his coat, turned, walked the rest of the way to the front of the store, opened the door, and left. Sweating, knees shaking, not sure what to do. I can only be thankful that the store was about to close, and I was able to escape darkness and return to the safety and security of Halifax side, where there were no bars on the store window, and I could settle back into my routine of battery sales and good books. One night not long after, I was working in the Park Lane store on Halifax side. It was a Thursday or a Friday night, I guess, and I was sharing a shift with Terry, a fellow part-timer, when two guys came in and interrupted our relaxation. I can't say I remember what they looked like or specifically what they said, but one of them showed a keen interest in one of the small travel alarm clocks that we kept in a cabinet on one side of the shop. I remember that he seemed fascinated by its diminutive size and wanted to have each feature demonstrated, from how to set the alarm to what the alarm sounded like. So I went through this dog and pony show until his friend appeared at his side and indicated it was time to go. Actually a common end to a customer interaction since there was a theater on the lower level of the mall. I returned to my comfortable seat and I thought nothing of it until the next customer came in to buy batteries. I went through the usual process of entering the stock number. I still actually remember the stock number, 23-582 AA alkaline batteries, and collected a fiver or a tenner before heading to the cash. Now, opening the cash register was easy. It's just a matter of pushing a plunger, hearing a click. The bell on the door had never worked. And watching the drawer slide open to reveal a row of slots that should have held five, ten, 20, 50, 
and $100 bills, but were empty. It didn't make sense at first. I guess I just stared for a few minutes while I tried to make sense of what I was seeing. In the aftermath of that night, one thing came immediately clear to me, though. No one in the world is that interested in travel alarm clocks. Thanks for listening to these stories brought to you by Hong Kong Stories. Our grateful thanks go out this week to all of our hosts and our storytellers who take the chance to come to a workshop to share their stories with strangers. The music for this podcast was created and performed by Andrew Robert Smith. Everyone has a story to tell.